Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48. Episode 5, Stagnation. Hey, Cammie. It's Zach here. Yep, Austin's here as well. Hey, and he's uh, feeling a lot better. Yeah. We uh, we took a few days to leave uh, North Carolina, but we finally got back on the road. We made it. He, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of vitamin C and zinc. <laughs> yeah. Does the body good. It was, uh, it was a rough few days, but yeah, we're doing all right now. But uh, we just wanted to give you an update. Um, so we came down to Newberry, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason being is uh, in the Tibbs Journal, he referenced something about like an old college. Yeah, there was, so Newberry College is down here and he talked about like this older building with some like kind of history that he was interested in. So he didn't give very many specifics, but we just came down here and walked around campus and just talked to people. and. None of the kids that we talked to on campus like knew what we were talking about. Yeah, so. None of the professors either, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was really weird. But. I mean, we didn't try super hard. It, I felt so awkward. Dude, <laughs> I haven't been on a college campus in yeah, years. Yeah, it was weird. But we just we just kind of gave up after a little while, and um, there was this little diner across the street. So we just ran over there to get some lunch. Yeah, we had our lunch, and it was like this really cute mom and pop shop. Like, mm-hmm. our waiter was also the owner. They had, yeah, they they had like memor- Coke memorabilia everywhere. Yeah, it's one of those know? types like, of places. Yeah. And it's the South. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as we were paying, uh, something really weird happened. So, uh, this girl just comes in, and she is just frantic. And she she goes up to the counter where uh, where our waiter was <laughs> slash the owner right. was checking us out. Yeah, and uh, she just started like rambling about something weird and how she yeah. was leaving and and it looked like she might have been like an employee or yeah. something. She because... was clearly quitting her job there. Right. The the owner just like kind of hugged her and told her it was fine and it was like honestly like a pretty wholesome interaction like despite the situation i was impressed yeah seriously the owner like handling it so well right exactly but when we walked outside we noticed that she was standing next to the building just smoking a cigarette so Mm -hmm. we walked over and just to make sure she was okay yeah and as soon as we started talking this story sort of spilled out of her this is what kayla harding told us i miss being a kid Things weren't always perfect. I remember the stress I felt after my dad lost his job in 2008. It was several months before he found a new, lower-paying job, and in order to keep the house, my mom had to find a job as well. So suddenly, I was responsible for looking after my younger sisters. I didn't really understand everything that was going on at the time, but all the new responsibilities took a toll on me. Deep down, I always harbored some resentment about that kind of feeling like I had missed out on my childhood. Now when I look back though, all I really remember are images and feelings from the happy times. I remember the long summer nights riding my bike around the neighborhood with my friends, 
running with my sisters through the trees while the fireflies started synchronizing. How cool the water felt when my neighbor opened the fire hydrant for all the kids to play in during a heat wave. The feeling of having an in-joke with my friends at school, and how just a glance at each other from across the classroom could send us into uncontrollable fits of giggles. A warm glow covers those memories, filling me with a nice kind of sadness when I think about them. I know that those memories are a lie, or maybe not a lie, but an exaggeration. But I can't help but long for those times now. No matter how scary or difficult things got, I always felt safe. I always felt protected. That feeling started to fade as I got older. The memories as I got into high school start to have a bluish feeling, more numb. It's almost as if things got completely flipped around. I know that I had happy times. I made friends that I still love to this day. I started discovering who I was as a person and found hobbies that filled me with joy and purpose. But the strongest memories from then are the things that pulled me down. The fights I picked with my mother, the mean comments I made to my classmates that haunt me to this day. Times when I thought so low of myself that I didn't want to continue existing. After graduating high school, I got into Newberry College to study music and moved away from home. My parents were excited because I was only about an hour away from where they lived in Columbia, but I barely visited more than once a year. I grew more distant from my sisters, and they both eventually left home to go to the University of Iowa. Not long after, my parents moved to Cedar Rapids to be closer to them. In what now seems like the blink of an eye, I was suddenly a thousand miles away from my family, even though I hadn't moved more than 50 miles from home. I guess that was kind of what I wanted. Space and privacy. Things that are hard to come by in a two-bedroom house where five people live. Life in Newberry was a dream in that regard. I'd share a room for the first year, but with my financial aid and a part-time job at a little diner just off campus, I was able to get a place with my own room for the rest of the time. I had a great time at college. And even though I would sometimes feel guilty when my mom called to check up on me, I barely thought about my family at all. I graduated in 2018 with a bachelor's in music and a minor in jazz studies. I quickly realized that I had no plan for turning that new expertise into a career or life. I had always assumed that things would kind of just work out, and I would figure out what to do next as things came along. But now I was stuck and didn't have a plan. Slowly all my college friends started moving on, and before I knew it, I was a stranger in a familiar town. Once or twice I drove out to where I grew up in Columbia, but with my family gone it felt strange, almost unwelcoming. I started texting my sisters and trying to talk to my parents more, but their lives had moved on. It wasn't like they were angry with me or trying to ignore me, at least I don't think it was. It's just that they had full lives now and I didn't really fit into them anymore. I had finally got what I was craving when I left for college. Solitude. I accepted this for a long time and just went through the motions of my life. Go to work, go home, sometimes go out and do something. On the very rare occasion, get together with some old friends. Time keeps moving on though and now I found myself almost five years later still in this cycle. Things started to change at the end of last year though. Toward the end of October I was still working in the diner, feeling old compared to the college kids that now came in to hang out. By this time I was known by all the regular townies who would kindly ask how I was doing and nod politely when I fed them the regular line about having a few things in the pipeline. I walked home after closing one evening and found a notice from my landlord pinned to my apartment door explaining that the city inspector had condemned the building for repeated housing code violations. 
I knew the building was bad, but I hadn't realized just how bad it had gotten. Apparently the landlord had been notified the previous month, but hadn't bothered to tell any of us living there. Now we had a week to clean out our stuff and move. To say the next seven days were stressful would be an understatement. I looked around for somewhere new to live, but in the years I had been living there, inflation had pretty much pushed everything out of my price range. I started looking for a cheap storage unit to store all my big things and prepping for the possibility of living out of my car for a while. Two days before I would become homeless, I was explaining my situation to my boss, and one of the townies overheard. She came up to me and told me that one of her friends had a little cottage on her property that she was looking to rent, and it would probably be right within my budget. If I was interested, she could put us in contact. I was feeling desperate at this point, and it seemed like a good enough solution, so the next afternoon I found myself driving down to the end of Longshore Road to meet with Adelaide. She was an older woman of, I would guess, around 70. She had a small parcel of land that she'd inherited with a small pond at the end. There was a large farmhouse that Adelaide lived in that was built sometime in the late 80s, and behind that was the original house that she had grown up in. It had been left derelict for a long time until Adelaide's son had done a renovation, turning it into a little Airbnb. He had been too late for the Airbnb boom, and that plus the remote location meant it never really worked out that way. Adelaide told me she had been discussing trying to rent it out with her friend not one week ago, so this was perfect timing. It was a cute little one-bedroom house with a living area and a kitchen. Very old-fashioned, but everything had been brought up to modern code during the renovations. I couldn't believe my luck. There was no way I could find anything this nice anywhere else, especially for the price she was giving it to me at. The only downside was a longer commute. I would now have to drive to and from work every day, but that was a small price to pay for what I was getting. The next day was a whirlwind of getting stuff moved out of my old apartment and into my new little cottage. I discovered that the upside to moving out of a condemned building is that you don't have to leave the place presentable for the next tenant, so things moved pretty fast. I thought my first night in the new place would be strange and restless, but honestly I got the best sleep I had had in months, maybe even years. This weird upheaval of my normal routine had me feeling invigorated and almost excited for the future. I didn't realize how bad I had been feeling until now. It was kind of shocking how much weight had been lifted by this one change. I literally felt like 50 pounds had been lifted off my shoulders. My boss and other people at my work commented on the change. They could physically see how much better I felt. Adelaide took to inviting me around for dinner on Sundays after she got home from service at the old Union Church. Having someone to talk to outside of work was so refreshing. She didn't get around much anymore and she loved to hear me talk about what was happening in town and in my life. It was strange feeling almost happy again. For the first time in a long time, I started actually looking forward and planning for the future. I had nursed a secret ambition to teach music for years, and finally took the time to start looking into what it would actually take to make that happen. One Sunday afternoon, I confided this to Adelaide, and she told me that there was a rumor at church that the longtime music teacher at the middle school was retiring after this year. If I wanted, she could put in a word next Sunday with the principal about me maybe applying for it. When I left to go back over to my place, she took my hand and told me that she loved having me here. She hoped I would get the job so I could stay for a long time. I went to bed that night with a strange feeling I couldn't quite place. Just before drifting off to sleep, I realized what it was. Contentment. But it wasn't to last. Late that night, I woke to a slight sound outside my room. Still half asleep, I lay there trying to figure out what it was. For a moment, there was nothing. Then it happened again. The pattering of little feet running up and down the hall to the living room. 
Confused, I willed myself to get out of bed and tiptoed to the door. I heard it again, separated by the door but not more than a foot away from where I was standing. I whipped the door open and turned on my bedroom light, but there was nothing there. I stood in the doorway illuminated by the light spilling out of my room, just listening. I was ready to turn around and go back to bed, but then I heard it again. Little footsteps running across the hardwood floor just around the corner in the living room. I slowly crept down the hallway until I reached the end and paused, holding my breath. I waited until the footsteps sounded again and then jumped around the corner flicking on the living room light. There was nothing. I figured it was probably just my sleepy brain playing tricks on me. As I turned to leave, I noticed something strange. The old rocking chair in the far corner of the room was wobbling slightly back and forth, almost as if someone had bumped into it just a second ago. I stared at it and then looked around the room, watching intently for even the slightest movement, but nothing happened. I walked through the house, turning on all the lights. I checked the doors and the windows, but they were all still locked. I eventually went and got back into bed, but I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me. I left the lights on, and after a long time, I fell asleep. The next day came and went without anything out of the ordinary happening. I was a bit tired and on edge, but by the time I got home that night, everything felt normal. I stayed up as late as I could, trying to wear myself out so I would be too exhausted to wake up at any point during the night. It must have worked because I didn't wake up once. I'm not even sure I moved at all because I woke up the next morning stiff and sore. That day during my lunch break, I took a walk across the street from the diner and around Newbury College campus trying to work out the stiffness in my legs. I was coming up on one of the older buildings when I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye. Just at the edge of the building, I thought I saw a small boy with shaggy dark hair peering around the corner at me, smiling. There was nothing too strange about that. I mean, you didn't see children on campus much, but it did happen. I tried to get a closer look, but as I focused on where he was, he pulled back out of view. When I got to the corner of the building, I looked to see if the boy was still there, but there was no one in sight. I had a weird feeling for the rest of the day, again like someone was watching me. But whenever I looked around, it was just a normal day at the diner. I got home late that night, and the sun was already starting to set. I walked in my little house and threw my stuff down, collapsing on the couch. I had been on my feet most of the day, and they were aching like crazy. Slowly, I took my shoes off and stretched out my toes. I needed to start dinner, so... I pushed myself back up, and as I stood, I got a clear view out the window towards the pond. There was a small dock on the pond, and I had gone out there a couple of times to sit and read. At the end of the dock, highlighted by the light of the setting sun, was a small boy. It was hard to make out because he was so far away and his back was to me, but I could see that he was wearing a white, long sleeve shirt and had shaggy dark hair. I crossed quickly to the front door to get a better look at him, but when I stepped outside, he was gone. I stood for a moment, looking around, but there wasn't any sign of him by the pond or anywhere in the yard. That night, I had trouble sleeping. I was still seeing the silhouette of the boy sitting at the dock and couldn't quite relax. Eventually, I tied a silk scarf around my eyes and I put in my noise-canceling headphones, drowning out my racing thoughts with some music. I got up the next morning and showered, not seeing anything weird until I went down the hall and into the kitchen. Every cabinet in the kitchen had been opened, and every dish and food item inside had been thrown everywhere. 
Broken dishes and food lined the floor, spilling out into the living room. It took me two hours to clean everything up, and I was late getting to work. I worked late again that day, partially to make up for my tardiness and partially because I really didn't want to be at home anytime soon. It was well after sunset by the time I finally pulled into the drive. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, so I went up the front steps and opened the door. Halfway inside, I froze. It was dark and I could only just make out the shapes of things inside the kitchen. Sitting at the table, I thought I could make out the outline of someone small. I stared at it for a moment, holding my breath, until suddenly, it moved. In a flash, I hit the switch on the wall next to me, flooding the room with light. It was empty. There was no one at the table or anywhere else in the room. I breathed a sigh of relief, moving inside and locking the door behind me. The next few days, nothing strange really happened. Every once in a while, I thought I saw that boy's smiling face peeking around corners at me, but every time I tried to get a closer look, there was nobody there. I started to relax and felt much better. Sunday came around again, and like normal, I went over to Adelaide's house for dinner. I almost told her what had happened that week, but after a delicious meal and resting comfortably in her warm sitting room, it all now seemed kind of silly. Just before I got up to leave, Adelaide told me that she'd seen the principal of the middle school at church that morning and talked to her about me and the soon-to-be-vacated music teacher position. She said the principal had been extremely enthusiastic about it and had told her to have me call the school the next day to set up a time to interview. I couldn't believe it. I thanked her profusely and teared up a little bit. Adelaide even wiped a few tears from her own eyes and told me that she was happy to help. She did admit that her motivations for setting this up were a little selfish. Her kids didn't visit very often, and she really loved having me around. Hopefully this job would provide me with some long-term stability, and I would be able to stay here. I walked back over to my place feeling so thankful. I realized that I felt a sense of safety and love that I'd been missing since my childhood when I was with Adelaide. She genuinely cared about me with no qualifications or expectations, and it had been a long time since I had really sensed that from someone. My mind was racing as I lay in bed, wondering what I would say when I called the school the next day. It took a long time to fall asleep, but eventually even my excitement and anxiety were overwhelmed by my exhaustion and I drifted off. I dreamed of my sisters that night. We were all children, running through the trees that grew along the stream bed running through the neighborhood we lived in. The sun was going down, and the fireflies had started emerging from the trees to light up the night. I was laughing and watching my sisters try to catch the bugs when suddenly things started to feel far away. It was almost like I was watching everything through a long tunnel. I tried to call out to them, but I couldn't catch my breath. I reached up to feel my throat and found hands already there, squeezing tight so I couldn't breathe. My eyes flew open and I looked straight into the eyes of the boy, the one who I had been seeing all week. He was straddling my torso and squeezing my throat, choking me. He leaned in close so his face was no more than six inches from mine, his mouth spreading into a wide smile. She's mine, mine, he said in a raspy whisper. I pushed forward off my bed and rolled to the floor, tangled in my blankets. As I staggered to the door, he was nowhere to be seen. I moved out into the hall and towards the front door, gasping air into my lungs. I made it all the way down the hall, but as I started to pull open the door, it was yanked out of my grasp, slamming back shut. I turned around trying to think of another exit, but there was nothing. It was almost pitch black at the other end of the hall where I had just come from. 
As I stood there, I heard little footsteps come out of my room and into the hall. The walls creaked as the steps changed directions, moving up the wall to the ceiling. I followed the sound with my eyes, until in the darkness by the ceiling, the boy's face became visible, peering out at me, still smiling. He suddenly shot forward, moving across the roof like a spider. I screamed and started slamming into the door, trying to open it. Just before he reached me, the latch bolt broke and the door popped open, spilling me out onto the porch. I scrambled up and ran across the yard toward Adelaide's house, yelling for help. I saw lights come on inside, and as I reached the front door, she was opening it. She held me as I gasped out what had happened. We stood in the front room, and she let me cry into her shoulder for a long time. When I finished, she wiped my tears with her sleeve, and we sat down in some armchairs facing each other across the coffee table. For a long time, she was quiet, but eventually she started telling me about a time when she was a little girl, back in the 50s. She lived on this plot of land with her mother, father, and older brother. Her brother was three years older, and her earliest memories were of him hurting her. He would pick moments to hit, poke, or twist, anything to cause her pain. Her parents weren't aware of any of this for a long time. Finally, one day when she was six, her brother went too far. He twisted her arm so hard that it broke, and her parents had to call in the doctor to come and look at her. When her parents went outside to open the gate for the doctor, Adelaide's brother snuck into the room and tried to strangle her. He leaned over her and squeezed her throat until she couldn't breathe. Just before she passed out, her parents walked into the room with the doctor. She remembered her mother screaming and her father running across the room toward her. Everything was hazy for a while after that. She remembered her mother and the doctor caring for her, and then later her father coming into the room alone. She discovered afterwards that her brother had been found floating in the pond a few hours later, and was told that he had died in an accidental drowning. She grew up and moved away after getting married. She often thought about asking her parents what actually happened that day, but never got up the nerve. She raised her small family and when her parents died, moved back here with her husband. He built them the new house and started tearing down the old one, but died of an apparent brain aneurysm before getting very far. Sometimes throughout the years, she thought that she saw her brother standing by the water or looking out from the old house, but she had never gotten a good look and assumed it was her mind playing tricks. After she shared all this with me, we just sat there together until the sun came up. I made up my mind that I couldn't stay here hiding from the world anymore. I needed to see my family. Adelaide smiled sadly when I told her, but said that she understood. She watched as I carefully went back out to the little house and packed away everything that could fit in my car, leaving the rest behind. She waved at me as I drove past her house down the drive. As I passed over the property line, I looked in my rearview mirror and saw a boy standing just inside the gate, watching me go, a smile on his face. After Kayla finished telling us this story, she thanked us for listening to her and yeah. then got in her car and left. And I noticed that her car was filled to the brim. She must she really wasn't kidding. She was yeah. leaving. This wasn't like some memory from a hundred years ago. Like right. you know, when we were in Virginia. This so was... naturally we decided that we were going to go and investigate we ourselves. Wanted to see the spooky house. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're told about a spooky house, you, you gotta go see go, the spooky yeah, house. Yeah, you gotta go see the spooky house. So we drove over to the property. 
And when we got there, you know, it, it was a lot more, I guess in my imagination, I imagined it a lot more dark and mm -hmm. dreary, but it was just a normal house. It looked really cozy. It looked really nice. Not yeah. exactly what we were expecting. Exactly. And so Austin went up to knock on the door uh -huh. and... Uh, <laughs> to ask for permission to be there. Right. Well, and I figured, you know, <laughs> she's 70 years old. Yeah, and so she, should... she won't have the ability to I chase us away. I didn't want to bother her, <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. So I walked over to the cottage. Right. And I was just kind of casing the joint. I was just looking <laughs> right, through some course. windows. I just wanted to see kind of what the deal is. And she really cleaned that place out quick. Yeah. There was nothing in there. <laughs> but when I started looking through the windows, I could hear a faint, like, pitter-patter mm -hmm. running through the halls. And I saw something dart past the window. <laughs> and it freaked me out. So I, yeah. I immediately ran back to Austin. Well, let, Cammie, let me tell you what happened from my perspective, because he goes right over to the house. I went up to the front door to, like, ask permission to be there, and I knocked on the door, and I could hear somebody shuffling around inside. Like, clearly she came up and looked through the people and then didn't answer the door. <laughs> so I turned around to go get Zach, and then he just came running out from the back of the house and was like, we gotta go now. <laughs> I was like, I didn't question it. I just followed him back to the car. We drove away super fast. Yeah, that's what you do when you see a ghost, bro. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I, that's that is what happened. Yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah, why are you making that face at me? <laughs> because I don't believe you. Dude, you why did you just lie to me? <laughs> I think you just got psyched out by Kayla's story. Okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> and it like, just freaked you out. Okay, well, regardless, uh, just a heads up, Cammy. We're actually going to be heading next to Augusta. Mm -hmm. We got a lead from the uh, Tibbs Journal. Yeah. And the bookstore that he references is still it's there. It's still there. We just looked it up. So we're going to go check that out. So, yeah. We'll we'll talk to you once we get across the border. It should be maybe tomorrow. Yeah, something yeah, so. like that. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Lower 48 is a production of Winterhawk Podcasting. Written and presented by Zach Berry and Austin Meredith, with music by Tyra Orgill. To learn more about our other great podcasts, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.